This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters, and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast that is kind of like Vegemite, in that Americans just don't get it. Uh, we bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes, and we're also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group. So if you like memes, you like Ozpol, you like shitposts, go head over there and get you all of that. Uh, my name's Noon, I'm one of your hosts, and with me is... Hey, Zach Snack. thanks for that very abrupt opening noon. Appreciate it. How are you today? You know, I'm mostly doing well, but I did suffer a very mild personal tragedy earlier today. I went and bought some apple juice at the shop, like a two-liter mm. uh, two-liter bottle. And Great. It's fr- took refreshing a sip, beverage. Refreshing beverage. Took a sip. It's 50% less sugar. Oh, uh, uh, no. So That's rough. And you've got two liters of that shit just sitting I there I do, now. yeah. Yeah. It's probably good for my, like spleen or whatever but uh very disappointing but other than that i'm doing great zach uh and how are you oh yeah you know i've got a, a blistering hangover headache um and we're recording this like seven hours later than we usually would mm-hmm. because of uh <laughs> said hangover but i'm here now i'm ready to do it uh, and up top we thought we would uh cravenly beg our listeners mm-hmm. for support is that right yeah, that's like our whole jam. Uh, we want to get to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we are currently at 90, so there's only a, a handful of you have to do it. And look, statistically, we have more than 90 listeners. Uh, so there's a high chance that the person listening, right, you, right now, haven't left a review. Uh, so I'm sorry if you have. But anyone else, please, please give us a review. Yeah, uh, We did actually we lo- get one this we lo- week. Exactly. We uh, we do have one, uh, and we love getting these reviews. They're you know they're really great for our our reach, and they tell Apple to boost us and whatnot. But also, it's just really nice to get feedback and get see those five stars. Absolutely. So we got one this week from No Permutations of My Name Left. They say great Sorry stuff. To hear five it. That's stars. A well, I mean, it's clear there's at least one left for this review. An informative, comprehensive rundown of the week's happenings across the Australian politics news landscape. Always a fun listen, even when covering rough topics. The pup dates make my whole week. Thank you, no permutations of my name Thank left. You so that much. is very sweet. And yeah, you listener, we'd love it. If you haven't left us one over there, if you can go do that, helps us out a bunch. Now, before we get into the news for the week, I'm just going to mention some of the stories that we're not mentioning because every week there's too much damn news. Uh, and this is just a... a a couple of the stories that we're not going to be mentioning this week. One is that the uh, United Workers Union had a strike win over at Jen Mills. General Mills? Yeah, General Mills. Uh, We're not going to talk about Ben Robert Smith and his, like... Ridiculous train wreck defamation... Clownishly, like, supervillainly evil court appearances. Yeah. Yeah. It's like like the clown car of evil. Just when you thought Mm. another... You couldn't possibly squeeze another evil act in there, another one pops out. Uh, and we're also not going to talk about a CFMEU win about toilets. Uh, but I did want to say thanks to Jono for sending that story to us. Uh, it is good. 
solidarity. So, uh, what do we have up first, Zach? Uh, well, maybe I'll, I'll I'll tell you it via the medium of um, song. In other words, a song that I have created a clip from, a song that I have clipped. Now, you don't have to convince me that the climate's not changing. It is changing. My problem's always been whether you believe a new tax is going to change it back. But I just don't want the government any more in my life. I'm sick of the government being in my life. You know, and the other thing is I think we've got to acknowledge is, you know, there's a higher authority that's beyond our comprehension. And right up there in the sky, unless we understand uh, that that's got to be respected, then we're just fools. We're going to get nailed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. That is absolutely delightful. I'm going to go and leave a positive review on iTunes just for that. That's. Can I become a patron of our show? Oh, a, I love it. That's a vote winner right there. That's um, just. We should start a YouTube channel. I say we. I mean, you should do it, and I will enjoy it of just that joke. Just Barnaby clips over Eminem instrumentals. I mean, you could expand it to other shitty people, but yes. <laughs> yeah, look, look at this combination of two shitty people. Well, yes. We're talking about Barnaby Joyce because he's back, uh, although, you know, was he ever really gone? Mm. I didn't feel like this is unsurprising in any way, you know what I mean? That, uh, you know, he never left the party. He was always kind of lurking right behind McCormack's shoulder. Like, you know, Jabba the Hutt has that little uh, kind of Mm -hmm. small version of him. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, (laughs) in the background. Mm -hmm. So that was, yeah, that's my impression of, of, of Barnaby Joyce. So he's back, back in the hot seat. Back again. Head of the uh, back again, back again in in the uh, uh, in the leadership position of the Nationals. Michael McCormack has been rolled, and I actually couldn't like I I read so much, so many fucking articles and think pieces about this, and yeah. none of them mention what McCormack is gonna is like doing now. Like I guess you know he's That's not it. He, he won't he's, have his ministry. He's or whatever. not gonna like, be the little imp for Barnaby no one no there's no, no chance there's, he doesn't no. even have the chops to be the annoying tumor on Barnaby's Absolutely shoulder not, like, no. yeah yeah so I we probably never have to talk about him again which is one positive out of this situation mm-hmm. so yeah there was there was an, a leadership spill in the Nationals on Monday Barnaby edged out McCormack I believe if uh the Australian Financial Review is to be believed that Barnaby edged out McCormack by one vote so it was huh. a a tight thing Obviously, he's been, you know... Well, they're both such desirable magic. candidates. I can see why there was conflict. A tough decision over, for know, anybody there's... to make. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of those good problems, you know? Um, <laughs> which excellent charismatic leader do we choose? So, uh, this is probably not a bad time to introduce our... Shit post of the week. Which is going uh, out this week to Mig... Han, thank you very much for this edit Thanks. of the, you know, that that photo of Jason Momoa, a.k.a. Aquaman, sneaking up on Henry Cavill, a.k.a. Superman, at the premiere of the uh, very serious and adult drama Justice League, directed mm-hmm. by Zack Snyder. Um, and uh, it's just a really good Photoshop of it's uh, really, Michael McCormack's it's, face on... Uh, it's a really well-done Photoshop. It's just great. Yeah, the proportions are really good. Uh, I, I know how hard it is to shoot 
someone's head over someone else's head if they don't have the same heck or like a tiny head you know like it's difficult yeah, well, exactly done, meg's done a great job here um so so it's you know it's shopped so that um barnaby joyce is sneaking up mm-hmm. on an unawares michael mccormack and is about to get fucking crash tackled on the red carpet which is yeah jo- joyous but yeah the the photoshop's really good oh, because obviously henry cavill has a very large muscular body and meg's has increased the size of Michael McCormack's head in proportion to the body, so it doesn't make him look muscly at all. It makes him look like the little wiener that he is, which I really appreciate. Uh, so, and also you know. we we should shout out Jay O'Leary for inspiring oh, this meme yes. in a in a comment thread that uh, that Meg then you know implemented. Yeah, yeah. No, it really and look, it captures really captures the mood of the political moment. You know. It's a really it good, feels like this is really good little meme. retrospectively the story of the last three years since Barnaby left. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Barnaby has been very, very slowly creeping up behind McCormack, getting ready to crash tackle him. And Michael finally McCormack is now on the ground. Yeah, that's yeah, and n- not mentioned in any think pieces or articles about the situation. Because the media loves Barnaby, and I mm. mean, you know, I can't really exclude ourselves from that in the sense that you know i mean i opened with a a classic quote from him because he is you know just that entertaining but he is also like uh an unmitigated piece of shit and this is really really bad so Mm. let's talk a little bit about that um so you know like i said i've been absorbing the various you know the media spheres take machine on this yeah i've yeah i've been clockwork oranging myself the Australian take machine and let me condense it down for you. So what, one of the big things that this is going to mean is a a harder line on refusing climate action Mm -hmm. from the Nats. So the libs at the moment, liberal party at the moment is working on this proposal to agree to a net zero target by 2050, which is something that the people who within the national party who back uh, Barnaby have been very outspoken against. They said, we'll never agree to this. Uh, McCormack, was pretty soft on this, bit wishy-washy. He was asked a question uh, in his last week as leader of the Nationals directly about this, and he basically dodged the answer, and Mm -hmm. that seems to be seen as kind of the nail in the coffin uh, for his leadership of of the party. For the role, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the Nats do seem to be leaving the door open to potentially agreeing to this net zero by 2050 target under a new coalition agreement that's going to be uh, hammered out soon. But obviously, you know, if they agree to that, they're going to be asking for some pretty hefty uh, pounds of flesh in return. It's a huge bargaining chip for yeah. them. Yeah, I read some speculation that um, Joyce is going to ask for a mechanism where farmers get paid to reduce emissions somewhat like the uh, emissions fund that Tony Abbott set up that was very, very, very mildly effective. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're holding the cards at the moment, I think, in that relationship. Um so, I mean, obviously the other thing that this is going to mean is like a more staunch attitude towards dealing with the Liberal Party mm-hmm. from the Nats. So, you know, Barnaby retook the leadership on Monday and then on Wednesday in the Senate, the Nationals blindsided the Libs with uh, amendments to water legislation. So, that you know, the Liberal Party had no idea that it was coming. Right. Uh, and this the, the legislation was initial, initially introduced by the Nationals themselves. And then they were like, actually, we want to add amendments to this. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially what they wanted to do is like, it's, it's a power play. So yeah, I mean, the details are are, are not that important. Basically they were trying to ban like water buybacks in the Murray Darling, which Mm -hmm. is like, you know, 
not actually good for their constituents, no, terrible but it is good for the rich irrigators that they are in bed with. Yes. Um, but yeah, as you say, not super important what it was. It was never going to actually get up. Um, the amendments got voted down by pretty much everyone else in the Senate. But it was, you know, Bridget McKenzie, uh, who is... Barnaby Joyce is basically strongest mm-hmm. supporter within the National Party to flex a little muscle and to remind the government, you know, you need to do business with us or we'll make life fucking difficult for you. Totally. Uh, with the added bonus of like, you know, a little wink and a nudge to those uh, rich irrigators as well. We're giving it a go. Um, so electorally speaking, you know, uh, obviously Barnaby is a household name, which Michael McCormack basically never was because he's a wet sock filled with I don't know, like chicken mints or something. Whereas Barnaby Joyce is essentially, he's a proven performer politically for the coalition. So a lot of the analysis is uh, focusing around the fact that he's going to bolster the coalition's chances in central Queensland mm-hmm. in particular, in, you know, coal seats generally, because of course the Nationals party is the party of coal. That is their basically entire reason for existing politically yep. uh, is to prop up the coal industry. Uh, and of course, you know, one of the major seats where this is a hot button issue is the Hunter in New South Wales. Um, so, which, yeah, yeah. So, uh, which the coalition have said that that's going to be a major target for them at the next election. So, uh, the yeah, the thinking seems to be basically Joyce is a tick in the plus column, electorally speaking, mm-hmm. for the Liberal Party. Um, you know, that the, the idea that he might be destabilizing the partnership or undermining Morrison's leadership, I don't know, that shit doesn't really wash for me, like, you know. The thing is, I feel like the Nationals, um, we've talked about this before, if they took our advice as political strategists, they would not continue the coalition agreement with the coalition um, and would be an independent vote, voting bloc and, like, exercise their muscle in that way. Uh but they clearly think that's a terrible idea and that their only way of being in government is in a coalition. So it effectively means they, like, don't have any threats? That, well, that's my read on it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say in large part, as a political entity, they're not really that interested in, like, governing. They're just there reminding the government, hey, support coal and big business at the expense of pretty much everyone else. Mm-hmm. And then and we can just fuck off for the rest of the year. Um but yeah, look, the main takeaway from this that I want to focus on is that I, this is really proof that the coalition has not and had basically never had any intention of dealing with its own misogyny. So mm-hmm. I, I put a, a content warning here for a few mentions of um, sexual harassment in this next section. We'll put time codes in the notes if you want to skip this. Barnaby is is a misogynist. Like that's, you know, I think everybody understands that about him. Um so, you know, I mean, he resigned in 2018, and I, from my perspective, I feel like there was a lot of emphasis in the reporting and the discussion around that on that he was having an affair with one mm. of his staffers, mm. but um, less emphasis was placed on the, the other major reason why he was forced to resign was that he was accused of sexual harassment. Yeah. Um, and in that case, this this woman who accused Barnaby of sexual harassment wrote the Nationals like a confidential letter mm. detailing the allegations. And they responded by leaking her fucking name to the press. Then they had a secret internal investigation right. and said there was a lack of evidence. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, obviously big fucking surprise. It's the first time that a victim of sexual mm-hmm. harassment has heard that one, I'm sure. He was also accused of sexual harassment back in 2011. 
And I've got a quote here from Western Australian State Labor MP Jackie Jarvis, which I think is pretty illuminating. In 2014, I was the Western Australian winner of the Rural Women's Award, and myself, along with other state winners and runners-up, all gathered in Canberra ahead of the national award event. And we were told, a number of us were told, by a person involved in organizing the event to be careful of Barnaby Joyce because he had a history of groping women. I just want to make myself absolutely clear. I was the Western Australian representative in Australia's leading award for rural women, and I was warned that the then-federal agricultural minister was known to sexually harass women at events. So it's an open secret, as it Mm. is in so many workplaces, Mm. you know, that this guy is is somebody who women should avoid because he's a harasser. Um, And, you know, aside from all of that, his policy positions are terrible. He's, you know, virulently Mm. (laughs) anti-abortion. known for making weird sexually objectifying comments and like literally on the floor of parliament about his colleagues, just, you know, really fucking gross piece of shit, dude. And I should note also that there has been some opposition from within the nationals, uh, from women within the nationals party, you know, about him taking the leadership Mm -hmm. again, Mia Davies, who leads the nationals in Western Australia said he was disappointed. Steph Ryan, who's the deputy leader of the Vic Nationals, said Barnaby Joyce's previous actions didn't really make him eligible for the top job. So there's like, yeah. you know, within the party, women being like, this guy's fucking gross. Yeah. He shouldn't be our leader. Uh, and, but, you know, the, a lot of the conversation around this has been kind of boiled down to this uh, particular instance this week, which is that uh, in replacing Michael McCormack, Barnaby has replaced his position on the Cabinet Task Force on the Status of Women, which was literally set up in the wake of a sexual assault happening at Parliament, right. and they've just put an accused sexual harasser in mm-hmm. that position. You know, and like, whether or not, you know, it's, Morrison doesn't decide who the leader of the National Party is. Right. But the fact that it's not even an active decision, that it's all, almost like ambient that this like avowed misogynist and sexual harasser has risen to the position of being put on this cabinet task force on the status of women makes it so clear, Mm. you know, just how like structural and systemic the misogyny is. Like, Mm. even if the prime minister is like hands off a decision, the, the wheels will just turn of their own accord and put pieces of shit like this in charge of, you know, (laughs) women's safety. Yeah. Anyway. So really, really fucking gross, really, really awful stuff. Barnaby Joyce is like, you know, he's good news for the media in the same way that Trump was, but he's bad fucking news for pretty much everyone else except yeah. for himself and his mates. Yep. Cool. So glad that uh, he's in charge of the country while uh, our alternative prime minister is uh, in quarantine. Yeah, well... Uh... Hopefully I mean, we'll it's not like that'd be content out of it. Wild, miles better, but yeah, yes, content. Do it. Yeah, just post through it. Oh god! All right, let's move on. Hey man, I got some more beers. Oh, uh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. Now come on, we're having another round of Coronas. Yeah, we're all feeling kind of sick, uh, but it's more Coronas. And uh, since I was already talking about the Nationals, I thought, fuck it, let's talk a little bit about the New South Wales Nationals who had themselves a little post-budget soiree where the entree was little shots of coronavirus, you know, like Mm -hmm. you go to like Mm -hmm. a health food shop and they have like little shots of wheat glass in like tiny little plastic shot glasses. Wheat germ. Wheat germ. Wheat grass, yeah. Yeah. Either way, yeah. You know, either wheat grass or wheat germ works for this little bit that I'm doing. You know, you have a little bit of juice in this cup 
and you, and you smash it back. They're doing that, but with coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which in hindsight, I don't know if it was the best decision. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so last Friday, Gladys Berejiklian said this. We know the virus has the potential to have been circulating in eastern Sydney in particular. Unless you absolutely have to, our strong preference is that you do not engage in any activity. <laughs> Just no activity allowed. Perfectly motionless. Yes. Uh, and then on Tuesday, after the state budget was handed down, the New South Wales Nationals had a function with around 70 attendees, which included, oh, look at that, one, one Gladys Berejiklian. That's hard. Here's a little quote from the Sydney so Morning bad. Herald. quote a nationals mp speaking on condition of anonymity said that fundraiser guests were mingling in the room by 6 p.m drinks were flowing and spirits were high everyone was happy it's budget day the mp said right which is there a sadder sentence in the english language (laughs) everyone was happy it's budget day let's all fucking let's smash some little plastic shot glasses of coronavirus and Mm -hmm. swirl it around each other's mouths i just also love you know look i'll tell you how the party was but you can't fucking use my name (laughs) it was was quite nice really really good party yeah a really nice time yeah (laughs) So, anyway, <laughs> after this, two days after the Nationals have this little post-budget coronavirus mm-hmm. party, well, they didn't know it was a coronavirus party party at the time. Two well, days I mean, later, they the could New have South- guessed because it literally they, violated they should the have coronavirus known. restrictions. So, but, and you know. you know, the premier, who was also one of their guests, yeah. <laughs> explicitly said <laughs> activities are bad. But yeah, two days later, New South Wales Agriculture Minister Adam Marshall tested positive for COVID. And the New South Wales Parliament is now working from home. A bunch of politicians are self-isolating, including everybody's absolute favorite guy. Yeah. Hoping to come up with something better there, but didn't really happen. That was uh, it. John yeah. Barillaro, who tweeted out that he was considered a close contact uh, and then immediately just got brutally ratioed on Twitter. Everybody just essentially being like, ha sucked in. Jokes about him sending the fixated person's unit after the... Contact traces. Uh, nice, nice. Uh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a pretty decent mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people being like, it's okay, you can do rorts from your computer at home, no worries. It's true. Um, yeah, so, you know, as always, it's funny when bad people get coronavirus. I'm happy to. <laughs> yes. I'm, st- I'm happy to stick with that. It was funny when Dutton got it. It was funny when Trump got it. Uh, I-, I think that's generally acknowledged to basically be the best day of all time on Twitter was when... <laughs> Trump was diagnosed. Uh, but yeah, anyway, luckily, this irresponsible bullshit from the leaders of the state is the end of uh, New South Wales COVID troubles. Right, no? Yes. But actually, <laughs> no. Um, oh, ah. Uh. Just take a d- big sip of water. Yeah, so um, it's funny that this outbreak is potentially uh, caused... Oh, I mean, it's not funny, really. But, you know, caused by the the parliamentarians that's well deeply look, I unimpressive don't think been, but emblematic i don't think that's like, been suggested okay i'm not in a literal suggesting sense it. yeah yeah not not literally <laughs> but they have been responsible for it uh with their actions but anyway yes hey, there hey. are a lot of cases in of coronavirus in sydney unfortunately and there'll probably be uh more by the time we release this show but there are at least dozens and dozens of cases um, and as of this morning, less than half of them were in isolation while they were infectious. So as a result, Sydney is in lockdown. And um, I wrote these notes this morning, and then 
finished writing the rest of my notes for the other stories. And by that point, a new announcement had been made. Um, which is a roundabout way of saying, don't take legal or medical advice from SnackPod. Go and check the New South Wales government website for up-to-date <laughs> announcements about restrictions and cases. Because um, but- Gladys was really, like, re- reluctant to do a lockdown. Yes. Right? I've got a little bit about that in here still, because I think it's right, interesting, cool. even though she's now said that word. But yeah. So, so you yes. essentially made a bunch of notes about how, hey, they're not locking down, and then they lock down. Sort of. Okay. <laughs> uh, but the lockdown is scheduled for, for... Well, I had a bunch of detail about the different things, and now there's basically just one thing. Um, yeah, because it got worse. And so they're like, okay, everybody, every, we're actually doing this. Yeah. So yeah, the lockdown gotcha. is scheduled for two weeks, ending on July the 9th, but we'll see. It might be uh, extended. People in Greater Sydney, the Blue Mountains, the Central Coast, and Wollongong can only leave home for the following four reasons. Shopping for food or other essential goods and services medical care or compassionate needs, including to get a COVID-19 vaccine, exercise outdoors in groups of 10 or fewer, and essential work or education where you cannot work or study from home. So pretty much the same lockdown that we've seen in Victoria and elsewhere and Sydney uh, briefly last year as well. Um, But it looks like there's probably a lot of community transmission going on, so cases are unfortunately likely to grow, so go and get tested and stay at home. Um... One thing, oh, I actually deleted this note, but um, I think it's important. One valid reason to leave home uh, is if you're in danger of any sort, including from someone that you live with. So, uh, yeah, if you're concerned about your safety, even for other things, you know, if there's a fire or whatever, or like, yeah, any kind of emergency, any kind of danger, you're allowed to leave your home. So please look after yourselves. Um, Yes, so... It looks also like there's going to be some kind of financial support announced for people in, affected by the lockdown in the next couple of days. Um, and borders between New South Wales and Victoria are mostly being closed, uh, with people being turned around at the border and um, copping fines if you break those rules. Uh, Victorians mm-hmm. can go back to Victoria from New South Wales, but have to isolate. Um, and yeah, as you said, Zach, one sort of political shenanigan kind of angle on this is that up until... Uh, this weekend, Gladys Berejiklian has strenuously avoided using the word lockdown at all costs. And so this was from a surprisingly aggressive article in The Australian. I say surprisingly because she's conservative, they're conservative, but, you know. Yeah, yeah they don't they don't love her, I feel. The, yeah. the editorial don't yeah. don't love her at the, at the Australian. But yeah, sorry, go on. Anyway, Gladys Berejiklian used clever language to deliver this unpalatable measure. And again, this was the one that was earlier today that was a... Uh, sort of lockdown. Oh, sorry, maybe it was uh, Mm. yesterday. Yeah. Um, She used clever language to deliver this unpalatable measure. She refused to use the word lockdown, instead selling this as an anodyne restriction on four local government areas, as though the city of Sydney, with its galleries, restaurants, departments, stores, and a casino, was just another suburban local government area like Randwick or Waverley. The enormity of this decision... When somebody think of the casino! (laughs) That's right. The enormity of this decision cannot be understated, yet this is how Ms. Berejiklian typically delivers bad news to the public. She rarely tells an outright lie, but has shown a propensity to occasionally conceal the truth, which is generous Uh, when you think about her, you know, former lover, for example. Occasionally mm. conceal the truth, that's one way of putting it, yeah. Um, also sets her apart from literally every other politician mm, who never obscures mm -hmm, the truth, mm -hmm. yeah. 
Uh, worth noting, too, that throughout the pandemic, she's always been quick to assume the seraphic hero role while seizing every opportunity to trash other states for closing borders and choosing lockdowns. And so, yeah, as you say, Zach, it's just like, did you know she's a politician? Isn't that scandalous? But, like, the key point is that she's been shitting on Victoria for having lockdowns and has felt mm. as a result that she has to avoid saying that she's doing a lockdown. Mm. Um, but anyway, now that she's said it, it's a bit less fun to point that out. But it it was funny watching her carefully avoid using the word repeatedly but yes to conclude please go and check the new south wales government website for any restrictions that might apply to you and go and get tested i mean that's advice you can take to the bank Mm -hmm. you know that's just good solid advice not legal or medical advice just the regular friendly sort from your pals here at snack put but you know do it anyway do go get tested (laughs) All right, let's move on to our First Nations story now. So we're going to talk a little bit this week about abolition. So anyone who follows this on Twitter would know that I have been reading uh, Our Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis, who's mm-hmm. uh, an African-American uh, abolitionist writer, thinker. Um, and it was like just a fucking amazing read, really eye-opening. Can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, but I've been kind of keen to... Uh, you know, read and, and listen a little bit about prison abolition in uh, an Australian context. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I guess it was good that I was like putting that vibe out into the universe because this week the Emerging Writers Festival uh, put on a panel called Imagining Abolitionist Futures, which was uh, basically featured a bunch of short readings by formerly or currently incarcerated women, most of whom were Indigenous. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was a really great panel. Um <laughs> Uh, it's available to watch on YouTube. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, so yeah, it was, it was hosted by Nayuka Gori, who is, you know, is a writer who I'm sure that most of our audience is familiar with, uh, and Nayuka's partner, Wit, who is a social worker who works with, uh, people who have been incarcerated. And, um, yeah, Nayuka opened the panel with a reference to African-American abolitionist writer, Mariam Carber who argues that prison abolition is often interpreted as a kind of destructive stance or movement. You know, it's mm-hmm. about destroying prisons and tearing mm-hmm. down that system. But Kaba argues that, in fact, it's a very creative and generative uh, position, which is something that really uh, aligns with what I was you know, reading in Our Prisons Obsolete as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, Angela Davis talks about, uh, you know, in, in discussing practical steps towards abolition, uh, she talks about decriminalizing sex work, decriminalizing drugs, reshaping our education system to center people's individual needs. Like these are all, you know, prison abolition isn't this sort of unilateral, isolated right. It's uh, a restructuring of society demand. and how we respond to people. And exactly, yeah. but it makes a really good fulcrum around which mm. to gather all of these other ideas. Mm. Uh, I find it really compelling in that way, um, and yeah, I thought that was a really nice note to start the panel off on and later on uh one of the speakers really tied into that um uh a gundajamara abolitionist woman named tabitha lean who goes by disposable human on twitter everybody should go and follow her she's fantastic yeah um and she spoke about how she thinks of abolition as being about love um that she thinks of it about as being about showing people more love and care than we currently do and and making room making a place for everybody in society 
which I thought was, yeah, a really beautiful way of, of conceptualizing it. And again, in opposition to this idea of, oh, you just want to tear this, you know, tear this system down, which is obviously a very simplistic way of looking at it. Uh, and Tabitha Lean also very helpfully situates the prison industrial complex in an Australian context as an extension of colonialism and a tool of genocide, which is, you know, that's, it really does make it quite different to uh, the, the, the American context where obviously, mm. you know, I mean, a lot of abolitionist writing comes out of the States, mm. um, but you know, it's a very different historical context, deeply in, and intimately connected with the history of slavery there, which mm. is, yeah, you know, I, I think it's important to try and find and, and listen to uh, local experts and, and people totally. with lived yeah. experience, you know, within Australia as well as reading that, those kind of broader works. Mm. Um, one of the other readings that I found really moving was by Flick Smith, who's a Garen Jerry woman who's been incarcerated five times and is currently on parole. And she read this piece, uh, you know, about the experience of being inside prison. Uh, and there was one phrase where she used this refrain uh, saying, in a prison of 500 women, imagine that there are only five places for higher education. In a prison of 500 women, imagine that there are only eight beds for alcohol and drug rehabilitation. And she went on listing the absolute lack of resources mm. um, available to people within prison and really puts the lie, I think, to this idea that prisons are there to rehabilitate people, right? Mm. To help them course, develop yeah. or, you know, you know get them ready whatever, to go back yeah. into society. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, there's, there's almost no help available for people yeah. within the system, you know. Um, and this is, you know, something that, that Angela Davis talks about as well. You know, the, the, the shift from prisons as a place for rehabilitation to a place purely kind of based around punishment, but that they serve a much more important economic role within capitalism mm -hmm. as well. Um, so I, I want to read this quote from, uh, prisons obsolete, which really, really fucking stuck with me. And, um, I just really want everybody to read this book. So I picked out this part, which I thought might convince people. Uh, she, she writes, the prison has become a black hole into which the detritus of contemporary capitalism is deposited. Mass imprisonment generates profits as it devours social wealth. And thus it tends to reproduce the very conditions that lead people to prison. That phrase about the prison being a black hole mm. into which the detritus of contemporary capitalism is deposited mm. just fucking just killed me. I mean, that's such a concise and poetic way of describing it. You know, I mean, she goes on to describe this, how, how kind of neat the mechanism is of, you know, simultaneously, you know, jobs start to disappear. The social safety net is dismantled. And then meanwhile, you expand prison capacity. Mm. Mm. And like, it's just it, she, the way that she joins the dots. It's just so fucking obvious. You know what I mean? That like ultimately, especially in America, where prison privatization has been basically turbocharged, but we also have that here. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that she mentions in the book is that the first ever private prison for women in the world was established in Australia. Right. Um, and actually, the Australian abolition movement gets a couple of shout outs in the book as well. Um, but yeah, so you know, speaking of expanding prisons... Wit and Nyuka set homework for the viewers at the end of this panel. And one of the things that they mention is uh, directing people towards the Homes Not Prisons campaign. So uh, I'm just going to run over that really quickly. 
Um, so this is being run by an organization called Flat Out Incorporated, which describes themselves as a statewide homelessness support and advocacy service for women with or without children who have had contact with the criminal justice and or prison system in Victoria. Um, and so they're running this Homes Not Prisons campaign, which is exposing the expansion of the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, which is a maximum security women's prison mm -hmm. uh, here in Victoria. And the Victorian government announced in March they were spending $188 million to build 106 new cells, uh, which includes solitary confinement cells. Yeah, so like a big expansion. I think uh, off the top of my head, the prison currently has like, uh, how many is it? It's around 400 uh, cells, I think. So that, you right, know, so it's, it's another like 25, 30%. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so the Homes Up Prisons campaign calls for the Victorian government not to expand the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre and instead spend that money on public housing to provide what they describe as like housing, a housing first approach uh, and support for criminalized women and their children. So they calculate that the $188 million that is designated for this prison expansion could build 1,000 new public homes. Wow. And that the operating costs for the, the proposed new cells in the prisons is $12.5 million, which is enough to operate over 1,600 public homes a year. So, like, it is, and, like, yeah, I mean, that's amazing the number that, like, this, it's, like, 10 times more homes than cells, roughly. Is that about right? Yeah. For the same amount exactly. of money. And that, I mean, imprisoning, it, it, you know, makes it so clear, those numbers, how much more expensive it is to imprison yeah. someone than it is to, to house them, to give them, you know, the tools that they need to, to survive. And not, life you know, for, yeah. Mm. yeah, exactly. Which is obviously, you know, investing in housing over prisons is, is a far more effective way to re reduce crime than imprisoning people. Mm -hmm. uh, one obvious instance is, people being released from prison having nowhere to go. And Homes Not Prisons says that over yep. half of women leaving prison in Australia expect to be homeless when they are yep. released. Yep. And that obviously makes them much more likely to be returned to custody. Uh, and of course, you know, underlying all of this is mm. the kind of, it is that colonial genocidal racism that Tabitha Lean identifies. And I've got this quote um, that I wanted to read from the Homes Not Prisons campaign. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are the fastest growing group in Victorian prisons. In the 10 years to June 2018, the number of Aboriginal women in prison grew by over 400%. Aboriginal women are 10% of women in prison, but only 0.4% the general population. The Victorian government's commitment to building more prison beds is a commitment to locking up Aboriginal women. Spending billions to expand prisons will inevitably worsen Aboriginal imprisonment rates and Australia's disgracefully high rates of Aboriginal deaths in custody. So, yeah, I mean, those numbers are fucking eye-watering. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the, I don't know how anybody can refute how fucking racist our justice system is when you look numbers like that in the face. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing to me. But so, yeah, th this is a really great campaign. Uh, they're, they're accepting donations. If you've got money, you can give. Otherwise, they've got a petition you can sign. We're going to put links to that in the show notes. And as I mentioned, that uh, Emerging Writers Festival uh, panel is available to watch on YouTube. So we'll link that as well. Uh, and just while I'm on the topic, um, I'm really interested in prison abolition. Uh, I've, you know, as I say, I've found it this like amazing uh, 
issue around which so many other things that I'm really passionate about kind of mm. revolves. You know, obviously we've got the direct connection with uh, public housing, but also other forms of social welfare, structural racism and colonialism kind of tied into that and attitudes towards crime and punishment in a general sense. Mm. Um, so I'm really interested to read more abolitionist texts written uh, in this country. So if anybody has any recommendations, uh, I'd love to hear them, uh, you know, drop us a line on any of our social channels or send us an email, contact at ospolsnackpod.com. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear uh, any suggestions you have for reading along those lines. Great. Thanks for talking to us about that, Zach, and I will give that panel a go. And yeah, um, uh, put me on the list for Angela Davis. I assume you've got a lending list already, but... Uh... I will. I'll put you right on that list. I've got a couple of... Um... I've got one other Angela Davis book here uh, that Leah from uh, Loud, Angry, Not Sorry mm-hmm. lent me, Abolition Democracy. So I think that's the one I'll dive into next. But yeah, send us your ideas. Yeah, so there's been uh, legislations that are transpiring in Parliament this week. So our next few stories oh, yeah? uh, are going to be about bills that have been brought before Parliament. Um and look, we don't have time to go into the intricacies of how Parliament makes laws right now, but we did do a bonus episode on it. Um, it's bonus episode nine, so um, head over to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash osbolsnackpod, and uh, give us a buck, and uh, you can go listen to that. The short version is the government, uh, currently the Liberal Party, uh, usually it's the government, brings laws to be, which are called bills, to the lower house, which is called the House of Representatives, and it gets passed, and then it goes to the upper house, which is called the Senate, to be finalized and approved. And sometimes there's back and forth and there's other side shows or whatever. Go listen to the bonus episode. Um, But the government sort of definitionally controls the lower house, but for the last decade or so, the Senate has rarely been outright controlled by the government. So they have to negotiate to get bills passed either, uh, sorry, passed through the Senate, that is, either with the support of the Labour Party or with the minor parties and independents who are called the crossbench. Um, mm-hmm. so I thought I'd just give that little intro cause the next three stories are going to be about bills. I don't know. Maybe bills. it's totally unnecessary. Bills, bills, bills. I got bills. I need to pass. Yeah. Um, can you so, pass my telephone bills? Can you pass my automobiles? Electricity bills. Uh, currently the liberal party could usually get a majority in the Senate. Um, but this is a positivity corner because Pauline Hanson sort of vagued out of voting. Uh, and so the bill failed. <laughs> Um, so this bill was to change the rules. The only time anything good happens around that fucking person. Yes. And she's just like, she's just wandered she off. She is and... absent. It's like, <laughs> perfect. It's the perfect performance. Yeah. That's the, that's the best time to get something done. Yeah. When she's fucking gone. Uh, it's, well, it was probably on purpose, but like, yeah. Um, so this bill hey, was to change holds. the rules about what, a... yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, <laughs> It was to change the rules about what ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, can invest in. Uh, Basically, it was going to allow them to invest in things other than renewable energy, which does sound pretty silly on the face of it, but makes sense coming from Liberal uh, Liberal Energy Minister Angus Taylor, who's uh, famous for making fantastic, well-done, great moves. So (laughs) it's just common sense. Yeah, another hit it out the park again, Angus. Well done. Yeah. So this bill would let Arena pay uh, coal power stations to try to reduce emissions with carbon capture and storage technology that does not exist. Uh, Quote, clean hydrogen, which, as we discussed in an episode a couple of months ago, is actually a euphemism that means 
not clean. Not clean. <laughs> yeah. Mm, mm. Um, again, we you understand can go back politics. <laughs> I I wish there was more to that, but it just literally doesn't mean <laughs> clean. Just, it just it just it means, means made from fossil clean. fuels. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, low emissions cars, but still petrol. Uh, and also it would be a couple of actually good things like microgrids. Um, but it got knocked back from the Senate because Pauline Hanson didn't show up. Um, and so I'm going to read a quote now uh, from The Guardian that shows how totally functional and normal and sensible <laughs> our, our parliament system, is. Yeah. yeah, and how it's definitely right. a sensible and reasonable way to run a country. Okay, so yes, from The Guardian. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting up, I'm paying attention, I'm taking you'll, notes. I think I'm bright-eyed like and bushy-tailed, ready to get invested in Australian politics. Hit me, tactical dude. masterminding going on here. <laughs> An initial vote was lost 27 votes to 28. Zach is miming, taking notes. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Uh, an initial vote was lost 27 votes to 28 when the Coalition and One Nation's Malcolm Roberts combined to defeat the disallowance. Jackie Lambie and Rex Patrick voted with Labour and the Greens. But after 7.30pm, the Green Senator Peter Wish-Wilson told the Senate he'd missed the vote because he had, quote, a dicky hip and, quote, couldn't run fast enough to enter the chamber and cast his vote. So he asked for the vote to be retaken. Labour's Jenny McAllister then revealed that Centre Alliance Senator Sterling, Zach is now face palming and chuckling, by the way, listeners, uh, then revealed that Centre Alliance Senator Sterling Griff, who was absent this week with leave, was supposed to be paired for the vote, but his wishes, quote, were not reflected in the lost vote. After some confusion, coalition senators agreed to retake the vote, and about 8.20pm, the disallowance motion passed the Senate 28 votes to 27. Hansen was absent from both votes. So, there you go. Do you go. want to explain what pairing is? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, pairing, um, it's if... Normally, it happens with Labour and the Liberal Party, because it's easy, but it happens with all sorts of people. Uh, if you're, like, sick or you have to go to a funeral or something, someone from the Labour Party will go over to the Liberal Party and be like, hey, I'm going to be off sick. Can you send one of your guys off, you know, fair For the sake dues. of fairness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's 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 basically the honor system though. It is. Yeah. Because and there's no rule and occasionally when the government really wants to get something passed they'll be like, "Nah, fuck it." We're not well, or pay. they'll also be like, "Oh yeah, we'll pay you. That's fine. You can go off." And they'll <laughs> like someone will literally fly to, you know, Perth or whatever and they'll be like, "Okay, it's vote time." Um, <laughs> but this time they were like, "Okay, this time take backsies and um a, a dicky hip and uh uh Yeah, I was going to say pairing. that it's fucked like the laws in this country are dependent on like whether or not somebody could run fast enough to get to a vote. Like, yep, that's cooked. There's just nothing about <laughs> this story levels. that should have anything to do with how decisions are made that run the country. <laughs> like, like, actually, I like take backsies. I think that's a good because you know, you sometimes you don't make the right call. Exactly, yeah, new shit has yeah. come to light, man. You know? Exactly, yeah. She could in the parlance of our times. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this is not going to happen, which is nice. Uh, a little negativity corner that no doubt uh, will get us a bunch of hate mail for literally only the sentence. But according to the Australian quote, senior members of the Morrison government have reportedly considered taking a proposal for nuclear power to the next election. To which I say, boo. Cool. Let's move on. <laughs> quick enough on the sting finger fashy australia you like that sting finger sting finger no i didn't no oh yeah no now i've said it again i wish that i hadn't said it twice 
But it is time for Fashion Australia. Another bill got passed this week. They've been oh, they've been busy, haven't they? Our politicians. I mean, you really slugging that fifty percent less sugar juice. You you are well, pounding I, them chills in the circle. dragon. You know, <laughs> I need. It's just mediocre, and I want that refreshing goodness. Yeah, no, I mean you need to that- drink half as much again in order to get the same amount of. So the government's online safety bill has been passed with the support Fuck. of Labour and One Nation. That's bad. Very bad. Uh, the only people who opposed it, as far as I know, are uh, the Greens. Um, so, yeah, you know, love it when all the fucking worst people mm-hmm. find something that they can all agree on. That's mm-hmm. really, you know, it's a good sign. It means there's going to be good stuff in the bill. Uh, and I will also note here that Labour whined about this bill a bunch and said, eh, I, don't, I don't like how it's been brought. It was too rushed, but I'll vote for it anyway, because they're a bunch of fucking losers. So mm, Noon went into a... Uh, it, yeah, yeah. They, they just suck so fucking much. <laughs> Noon went into a, uh, quite a bit more detail in episode 88, which is titled, by the way, Begalian versus Bredator, which I would like to <laughs> congratulate just whichever one of us came up with that. It was definitely yeah. you. There's zero chance I thought of either of... <laughs> No. Well, I mean, it... well done to to me. Uh, and yeah, but you speak in in that episode specifically uh, uh, about how this bill is going to impact sex workers, and you mm-hmm. go into a fair amount of detail. So I would uh, direct listeners to to that episode for a, a deeper dive on this. But I just wanted to kind of like quickly recap what's happening with the mm-hmm. bill since it literally just became laws that we all now have to live by, which is well, you know, it's going to be intro- like it's. It's on the way. It's gotta happening be, now. It's got to be a yeah, it's got to be rubber stamped by the lower house, and it comes into effect in like six months or something. But you know, it's it's been passed. That's that's what they need to know. So at its simplest, this bill basically puts a huge amount of censorship power in the hands of someone called the E Safety Commissioner, which uh-huh. is spelt with a lowercase e and l and uppercase s, which is you know very. It's a bit quaint, a bit nineties, yeah, sort of. Which I think does explorer. It is, it is very Internet Explorer, Netscape. and I think that really that's a. No, that's, you know, comparing the, too the government's, like, <laughs> attitude towards the internet is, you know, to Internet Explorer is fair. Comparing it to Netscape is is doing Netscape a massive disservice. Um, they just so have this, lowercase e-vibes, that's all. They do, they do. So this e-safety commissioner is going to be able to order websites and apps to remove sexual content and block Australians from accessing certain websites. It's also going to make online content subject to Australian classification rules right. that you would see, you know, on like uh, TV shows, for example, you know, PGM, R, M, A, G, blah, blah. You know uh, those ones. So anything, sorry? I said, you know, those ones. You know, you know the ones from that video where the guy, there are the families in the, in the video store and they all go off one by one as the movies get like getting raunchier and raunchier. Yeah. 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 What was the R18? Listener, if you know what the ad I'm talking about that would play on the VHS, what's the sexy movie that the kids can't, that, you know, it's like it's rated R. I think maybe it's Basic Instinct. Anyway, so anything that would receive an R18 rating uh, online could be ordered to be removed. Mm -hmm. And one of the particularly fucked aspects of this bill is the introduction of a new restricted access system. That's in quotes, which... Basically, as I understand, it means that the commissioner can make rules around what is an acceptable level of proof of age right. for accessing age-restricted sexual content. So some of the ideas that have been floated for this, including requiring users to upload like fucking ID, like I- their ID, scan fingerprints, or f- undergo fucking facial recognition scanning, which like, I'm sure that I don't need to spell this out for you, listener, but that 
comes with quite a few little fucking privacy concerns. Gosh. Uh, you want to watch a this, few. this yeah. porn? Give us your fucking birth certificate. Uh, and also worth mentioning here that the UK was looking at introducing like uh, a, quite a similar online verification mm-hmm. system, and they dropped it because of privacy concerns. Uh, whereas, you know, down here in the colony, we're like, ah, fuck that. Let's go Let's for pass it. it anyway. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's another element of the law that uh, is designed to create a complaint system for sexual images that uh, have been shared non-consensually. Mm-hmm. And in large part, I haven't seen like a huge amount of criticism of this section of the law. Yep. This is obviously, you know, trying to uh, crack down on, on revenge porn, basically. But there were some criticisms of this part of the law made by Scarlet Alliance, who are the peak organization for sex workers in Australia and who noon you referenced uh, their work a lot when you spoke about uh, this yep. in, in our earlier episode. Uh, they do fucking fantastic work. Uh, mm-hmm. But they say that there needs to be more transparency in this section of the law so that sex workers receive equal access to this uh, system designed to stop non-consensual sharing of, of uh, you know intimate images. Mm-hmm. And they also flagged that the law doesn't recognize the withdrawal of consent once given or limitations of consent for the use of images. Right, so they give right. an example of like, you might give an image to uh, a partner you know, or, al- or you might allow an image to be used for like an ad as a sex worker. Right. Right. But then, okay. you know, you don't, that image shouldn't be used in any other context, but maybe, sure. you know, or the, the, you'll be like, this ad only runs for two weeks, then you can't use it anymore. Mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. keep it and use it. So yep. there, there are, you know, sex, the obviously sex workers uh, are having some issues with this section of the law as well. But the main concern is this really, really broad, uh, these broad sweeping powers to basically take content down being given to this one individual who, you know, a lot of the analysis around this is like, they're not even an elected person. And right. that's true. But then and all of our elected people are fucking useless. Fucking we suck want as well. So it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, I wouldn't want, yeah, I wouldn't want. It's like, look who ended up in the hands of general, you know, like yeah, there's Jesus no way Christ. that the elected put. Yeah. Yeah. So not a good point. You know, the government's line uh, about this, you know, these laws is that they're they're reducing online abuse, protecting children from explicit content. But, you know, the the rules are so fucking loose. There's such a huge amount of discretionary power in the hands of the commissioner. And there's a total lack of transparency and accountability written into the law, which means that this law is, you know, going to have a huge negative impact on marginalized people. And I'm just for the sake of uh, brevity. Here's a list of those people from the conversation as in the website, The Conversation. Quote, Sex workers, sex educators, LGBTIQ health organizations, kink communities, online daters, artists, and anyone who shares or accesses sexual content online. Mm. I'd say that that's going to mean most people. Yes. Uh, So, you know, it's bad. One major concern, uh, which you go into in depth, Noon, in, in episode 86, is that uh, platforms will start to self-censor in order mm-hmm. to avoid the risk of getting blocked. So, you know, this is what we saw with the Sesta Foster yeah. uh, legislation in the US, where with Instagram like, or whatever. Yeah. So, well, it was the big one was Craigslist. I think was really That's common right. yeah, for yeah, yeah. sex workers. It was a place where sex workers would advertise services, and then basically these laws came in, which made the websites hookups, responsible. Yes. yes. Yeah. Sure. 
Um, but the, yeah, this legislation, as you know, as the online safety bill does here, make the websites accountable for that stuff, which puts the the onus on you know platforms, as you say, like Instagram. You know, it's very likely that they'll start doing shit like preemptively blocking, you know, stuff that they perceive to be sexual content. But it'll be via an algorithm. You know, right. it's well. The thing that I was thinking about is how sex works on Instagram now can't write the word sex or like can't write sex work and so they have a series of codes of like other symbols that spell sex visually or whatever but like it were you know it's just the same as winnie the pooh in china or whatever you know people find ways around it but they're yeah algorithmically uh, algorithmically blocking things is just like really destructive and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, as you say, this is part of like a broader trend in terms of making the internet hostile to sex workers and, mm. you know, other kind of marginalized people. But the fact that this is not just, you know, a terms of service, but legislation right. takes the level of, you know, oppression and censorship to this fucking turbocharged level. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the other major issues with this legislation is that basically any internet user, any Australian internet user, right. can report content to the commissioner, which opens up this, you know, Pandora's box of malicious reporting, which is, you know, basically you see something sexual that you disagree with or you don't like, yep. you can report that. And yep. then there's no transparency about mm. how the commissioner gets to, de- you know, decides what is offensive or not. And at least that- I talked about it, in the other episode there was no way to appeal either there's no appeal process yeah i and i i tried to do some research into that and found nothing um they're like specifically not liable for damages right uh, i believe like by any of these decisions made so it's like legal protections and lack of transparency are written into this law yep uh and the, the idea that the commissioner has the discretion to decide what is offensive like literally that's the uh, the term that's used in the bill, like it's so know. funny when um, you know conservatives being like, "Oh, snowflakes getting offended," and then they like literally legislate their own like power to obliterate something that literally they say it offends them, and they're like, "Well, that's enough." Yeah, where the fuck are the are the the free speech crusaders right, right. on this shit? Where's the Australian Christian League? Where are the fucking pickle boys from the IPA and that's, Liberty Works? You know, there's this you know? one. One thing that I will praise, uh, what's that tiny little picklet boy? No, 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 no. Oh, Um, Oh, you mean uh, Caleb Bond? Caleb Bond, that's exactly who I mean. He's he's like a hairy little pickle. Now, he used to be prepubertal, and now he's got facial hair. But yes, he still looks prepubertal. But he is very pro-sex worker and sex workers' rights and, like, there freedom and free speech yeah. you know i Caleb still Bond remember that fucking get one photo of him tiny half-hearted thumbs up um yeah gross maybe you could cut sure. this bit fuck that guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he doesn't need that <laughs> i think important like let's let's give it the the emphasis that it it it, it deserves good job on sex workers caleb bond you fucking piece of shit how is that yeah, it's still more of... than he deserved. I, I regret okay. bringing it up, but it's fine. Let's move <laughs> on. All right. Uh, so, yeah, and, and, you know, I think, as you mentioned, you know, that already there's all these kind of restrictions on how sex workers are allowed to communicate on social media. That, uh, but I think this is also indicative of, of a broader sort of regression of popular sexual morality away from mm. freedom 
to prudishness or repression you know we had this conversation on the bonus uh, episode about kink at pride where this there's this sort of very puritanical uh revulsion at anything sexual uh and you know all of these arguments are kind of based on this really subjective question of like when does something become sexual or inappropriate mm. and you know why the fuck would you want to put that the, the decision for that in the hands of uh, an unaccountable bureaucrat like that's just yep. it's just just so fucking it's just so cooked i mean it's just such a backward step you know what i mean so look yep. before we get out i will note that there were suggested amendments to this bill because i think there are parts of this bill that are positive right i mean okay. one of the stated aims is to reduce online abuse and yep. they're trying to protect people who've been the victims of uh of revenge porn and that is i mean that's fucking crucial you know mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. a really really important goal for us to have as a society you know let alone uh for our governments to have uh but you know this law does all this other really fucking awful stuff uh, and so there were these suggested amendments that would have addressed some of these concerns that would have given uh, exemptions, for example, to uh, sex education and harm reduction content, uh, works of art, sexual minority material. Uh, and also these amendments would have mandated an independent review of the act. So it's not just this sort of you know, sure. and this very cobbled together, rushed, not right, particularly right. well consulted on piece of legislation. Uh, but these amendments were voted down, of course. Um, and so, you know, Labour, like, you know, played them, played a little tiny violin for themselves, not wanting to vote for it, but did it fucking anyway. But yeah, to sum up, this is a misogynist, anti-sex worker, queer-phobic, puritanical bill that will likely harm many, many more people than it protects. And it's indicative of a, di of a disturbing bipartisan trend in governments con controlling what people are allowed to say and do online. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know... Sex workers have been warning us about this mm. bill for a long time since mm -hmm. it was floated, and you know it, it doesn't seem. Like the, I mean, yeah. the government hasn't listened to them at all. You know, and mm. Labor has totally failed in their duty to yeah. mount any kind of meaningful opposition to to this very dangerous bill. Anyway, shall we move on? Yeah, let's do it. It was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey. Yeah, well, it's uh, meme news time, sort of. Uh, it's also politics news, but also meme news. Uh, because, yet again, far-right memes have made their way into Australia's parliament, thanks to Pauline Hanson. Uh, so you might remember last time, uh, what, she brought a uh, motion that the government officially legislate that it's okay to be ro uh, okay to be white, which was a meme phrase pushed by the in like internet racists to try and get people to say, it's not okay to be white. Um, and generally... She's literally just a fucking taxpayer funded old troll yes like she's yep. just a racist facebook auntie she just gets the biggest racist facebook memes and, and turns them into makes them war she turns them into yes. she's the most powerful racist boomer poster of all time uh yeah well i mean thankfully that motion about it's o it's okay to be white was only just voted down but this time she has gotten a bill past which quote rejects critical race theory from the national curriculum so i wanted to talk a little bit about uh why she has decided to do that now uh what she thinks critical race theory is and then very briefly what it actually is i think um, i can answer the question about why she's bringing it up 
is because oh, yeah? she saw a fucking meme in a racist Facebook group. Ah, and, but and why it, has she seen a meme, Zach? Okay, all right. We're going deep. We're going deep behind the memes. Yeah. All right. So, uh, as with most alt-right memes, it comes from America, uh, where critical race theory has been picked up basically in March. This whole shitstorm started in March by a handful mm-hmm. of right-wing personalities and outlets like Ben Shapiro, Praga Yu, and Gross. Fox News, who, Gross. as of a few Praga weeks ago, you. had... I choose to pronounce it wrongly. Had nearly... No, I had no idea. <laughs> That's good to know. Praga. I also okay. knew that. Great. Um, I've watched lots of uh, anti-Praga Yu videos. Great. So. Um, so yeah, Fox News seems to have been really driving this. And a couple of weeks ago, I read this article that said they had nearly 1300 mentions of the term over the course of three and a half months, which is just a ridiculously huge amount. Go look it up on Google Trends as well. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's just like, duh, 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 spike. I saw um, a graph of, of the mentions on Fox, on, on Fox News. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Literally like, you can see the point where an executive wrote the fucking memo that was like, this is what we're going to talk about for the next right. few months. Here you go. So yeah, this article of Business Insider was on uh, 15th of June, and they said, critical race theory mentions have grown at a near exponential pace in recent weeks, with Fox personalities mentioning it a record 244 times last week alone, more than the entire month of May, and twice as many than for all of March, according to the study. Um, in other words, line go up. Line go real fast. Way the up. fuck up. Yeah. And... Disgustingly, it seems that this is part of a fundraising push by conservative organizations in the wake of the Derek Chauvin murder trial. Oh, man. Which is just the most depressing possible explanation for why this has come up. Um, so uh, this is from another Business Insider article. We seem to be focusing on it a lot for some reason. I'm not entirely clear on But um, Jelani Cobb, <laughs> a staff writer at the New Yorker, historian and professor at Columbia Journalism School, in a recent tweet said that the attacks on critical race theory are clearly an attempt to discredit the literature millions of people sought out mm. last year to understand how George Floyd wound up dead on a street corner. Mm. The goal is to leave the next dead black person inexplicable by history, Cobb added. Wow. Um, which That's I think, very clear-eyed, isn't it? It's such a good point. And, um, you know, of course, some of it just comes from Donald Trump. You know, like, this is, like, he loved this kind of bullshit. Like, oh, Antifa, oh, cultural Marxism. Yeah, it's essentially the latest Republican, cat, like, racist catch cry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it Um, may, like, it essentially could probably be fucking literally swapped out for Antifa in most of these sentences and it not make much of a difference. Including Pauline trying to ban it being taught in schools because it's just not. But we'll get to that. But um, yeah, this whole fucking conspiracy theory about CRT, I'm going to call it CRT from the rest of this, um, uh, is spreading among Republican-controlled states in the US, and according to Education Week, as of June 18th, 25 states have introduced bills or taken other steps that would restrict teaching critical race theory or limit how teachers can discuss racism and sexism, according to an Education Week analysis. Eight states have enacted these bans, either through legislation or other avenues. So... Prague, uh, you and Fox and Benny Schaps and the Republicans are all complaining about CRT. Uh, what do they think it is? Okay, the, and Dude, Pauline, did, you wrote the segment. Why are you asking me? Because you could easily guess. But uh, Pauline summed it up in some like Sky News appearance. Or something. I didn't get. I didn't keep the link for that particular one. I'm sorry. Um, but she summed it up as reverse racism. Well, uh, sorry, I just needed to do an air horn on reverse racism. Great. 
Um, but uh, yeah, the previous most popular fucking catch cry, <laughs> right? Reverse racism, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, Preggy U has done a very helpful video where they explain what CRT means, and my summary of their summary is: um, white people are all exploiters, and every time you do anything nice to a white person or anything mean to a black person, you're being racist. Okay, so you have to be. Are mean you sure to that's white not a direct quote? You said not- you were summarizing, but that could have come straight out of the video. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's really that <laughs> level of analysis. Yeah. So, well, as with cultural Marxism, there's no intention of having a consistent or meaningful definition of no, CRT. No, it's not necessary for right the social and political mechanism. Totally. And it's a full-blown dog whistle, which we've discussed at length before on the show this term, but it comes from literal, like, dog whistles, which when you blow them, humans can't hear anything, but dogs go bonkers. And when applied to racists, it means they have a term that is sort of innocuous to use in casual conversation or like on YouTube YouTube rants, as the case may be. Um, but all of the racists who are listening hear something else and they go wild. So mm. with CRT... It my, sound, like, like it doesn't sound as bad as being... Like saying, like, I don't know about critical race theory. It doesn't sound as bad as... I don't I know about anti-racism. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about racial justice. Right. Like, and so my, like, I don't know, I had a few goes at what I thought that the dog whistle was communicating, but I think the translation is something like, you could be framed for murdering a, a black person while you're just innocently walking down the street, just like Derek Chauvin, which to be clear, I, you know, obviously he's guilty in a, a convicted murderer and an unapologetic racist, but like, that is my rough translation of what I think conservatives are worried about when they talk about critical racing they're teaching framing whitey uh, they use the term whitey so often oh my god because it's like we gotta have a a slur used about us anyway and nobody's buying cracker anymore no it's out of date yeah um so uh that's what i think they mean by it when they say it but as i said i don't think they really have any intention to be consistent but what is actual real critical race theory not the far right dog whistle version uh my answer for this comes mostly from uh dr imani perry who's the professor of african-american studies at princeton uh and she did a, an appearance on black news tonight which was quite good and um i didn't know about the show but i, I quite enjoyed the host and i'm going to try and uh, watch more of it because it was yeah really good oh, cool. um uh, maybe I'll pop a link in the show notes for this. But yeah, uh, and Dr. Perry, I think, has written about this elsewhere. But she mm. explains that basically the civil rights movement led to uh, racial discrimination laws um, and that those racial discrimination laws were sort of used to repeal Jim Crow laws. Um, so I'm no expert on civil rights. And even if I was, uh, we're already well over an hour and we wouldn't have time to go into it. But if you don't know about Jim Crow, you know, hit, hit up Google. Uh, but basically... Um, this dismantling of Jim Crow um, started leading people to look at other ways that segregation and slavery had been structurally integrated into American society and culture and law. Prisons. Prisons. Like prisons. Yes. Yeah, so, f- for example, over-policing, over-incarceration, uh, informally segregated schooling instead of formally segregated schooling, um, lack of representation in parliament, so on and so on. Just, Mm. you know, all of the normal structural racist shit that's going on in racist countries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so this in turn leads to programs like Affirmative Action, um, which were targeted programs to improve outcomes for disadvantaged groups, including African-Americans, some of them for women, whatever. Um, 
and conservatives um, took these programs to court for violating the race discrimination acts that have been used to dismantle Jim Crow, right? Because it's basically literally, they're like, it's reverse racism. Um, and so legal scholars um, had to develop a legal doctrine that would explain why race discrimination laws should allow for targeted programs for developing different communities, but should not allow for, for example, segregated water bubblers or public transport or slavery. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so this legal doctrine became known as critical race theory. Okay. So it's about how does structural racism work? That's pretty much the whole thing. Um, and yeah. later it was expanded uh, significantly to focus on education. So there's kind of two wings of CRT. There's like the legal and the educational side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And um, part of the reason that it's called critical race theory is that a lot of the analysis or the techniques or whatever draw on critical theory, which refers to a huge number of theorists writing between like the 30s and the 70s-ish um, mm. that address... Uh, do a lot of different things, um, but they try to um, integrate psychoanalysis and Marxism. They try to address cultural artifacts like films and novels and stuff in a political and critical way. Um, they One big problem for them was like, why isn't the Soviet Union a communist utopia? So they were trying to address like that question. And also like, why is capitalism so resilient and insidious and good at co-opting things? And yeah. Um, and there was one quote that I got that I thought that was good from a, a critical theory guy called Horkheimer. It's a great, fun name. Um, and he said a theory is critical insofar as it seeks to liberate human beings from the circumstances that enslave them, which seems pretty obvious how that would be useful for analyzing race, right? Yeah, no doubt. So to bring this all back to Ospol, uh, CRT is an advanced theoretical legal doctrine that uh, isn't necessarily even taught in undergrad law courses. Uh, again, that's according to Dr. Perry, who teaches it in like niche post-grad law courses but you know i haven't actually checked any uni curriculums mm. so you know feel free to let me know uh flame us i studied a full semester in critical race theory at at my high school yeah at my university but it's definitely not being taught in primary or secondary schools um because both critical theory and legal theory are niche and boring and just not it's just not happening yeah um but as you say like crt becomes this kind of totemic stand-in for right. any kind of understanding of structural racism. Right, basically. totally. And like, there's this... we, do, we don't want any kids to learn that, you know, what, like, the existence of, about the existence of racial inequality. Everybody right. needs to be treated as a completely separate, discrete individual. There's no such thing as society. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But I think also, you know, it's there's this parano- paranoid fantasy on the right of, like, you know, teachers are going to get your child and tell them, look, I'm going to fail you in every subject and that other kid is going to pass every subject even if they don't do any work because that's critical race right. theory. Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, and, like, that's why it's so horrifying that the government supported this motion because on one level it's objectively pointless right like it's banning something that doesn't exist it isn't and, happening yes. and that almost no one except like me wants to happen because i think high school should be replaced with reading critical theory but you know i'm an outlier and i'm willing to accept that that's not a popular position but like on yeah. another level because no one knows what crt is no one actually knows what this is going to 
do this bill, mm. right? Like, yeah, this could super easily be an excuse to get rid of anti-racist educational yeah. programs that have nothing to do with actual CRT. Um, yeah. And, you know, we talked about this a while ago with, like, Mark Latham's anti-trans bill in the New mm. South Wales Parliament. But, like, it will make teachers afraid to address the existence of racism in the classroom, even in ways that, again, totally unrelated to CRT. So that's where I see the real horrible danger of this, quite aside from, like, being a huge, like signal to racists that you know australia is you down have a with voice racism. in parliament yeah, yeah exactly but like you have a fearless champion in the shape of fucking pauline hansen yeah but, you know as far as the actual material effects like aside from the more ambient just like cranking the racism dial right, up a notch right. in australian politics i think what yeah it's, your point there it's about terrifyingly vague yeah and the the point there being about you know it kind of putting the fear of god into teachers who want to talk about this stuff with their students i think yeah that like that's probably that that's the material outcome that i imagine someone like paul hansen is going for you know if there's racist bullying going on and what a teacher wants to observe that that's a a factor in it you know like that Mm. the principal might be like oh you know and you know obviously i'm making up these scenarios but like we literally don't know what will happen as a result of this bill. Um, Probably not a huge amount, but potentially some really horrible things. Anyway, yeah, that's the end. That's CRT. That's why it's now a fucking law in Australia that the government rejected in the curriculum. Uh, I hope you're well-addressed, you know, well-equipped to talk to any knuckleheads that you know who are worried about it. Yeah, just tell them it's not a problem. Shut up. Mm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. That's, well, that's, that was basically the gist of of that twenty minute story that you wrote and presented, right, Noon? You got it in one, Zach. Yeah. Okay, I nailed it. Yeah. You know why? Because I studied critical race theory in year three, and it it, <laughs> it, 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 it really shit. stuck with me. Yeah. That's why I'm in jail right now because I'm white, and that's what CRT says. <laughs> Great. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> Oh yeah, sorry. The hold up. Your your sting finger. <laughs> sorry. If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. If it's not technically podcasting, you still gotta do that shit. You gotta follow us on the pod on the fucking social. God damn it! You gotta follow, you gotta us, follow us, on us on the pod media's social. You gotta follow us on the. Well, you, could, you can follow us on Spotify, which Subscribe. actually that's one metric that uh, does like if you're listening to us on Spotify, statistically, you have hit that follow button. Which thank you, nice. Thank you so much for that. Leave us that review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we love that. It's or, or really good. Stitcher or Castbox, but again. Please let us know if you do that, because we might not see it. But we are trying to get to 100 on Apple uh, podcasts, so yeah, so do it there. You know, it can be real short. Just be like, I believe that all white children should be in prison. Uh, five stars. Um, you know, so, something like that. <laughs> just something quick and easy to smash it out, doesn't... Just exactly, you don't need to put that... Whatever's on the it. top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Head on over to Patreon. Uh, Patreon, us, no. Uh, uh, okay, sorry. Yes. Yeah, no, no. no. All right, go on over to Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash OzPolSnackPod for $1 a month. Any kind of dollar. You get a monthly bonus episode. Um, this month it was about uh, cops, corporations, and kink at 
Pride, and next month it'll be something different. Uh, you can join us on Discord and see photos of the tasty things that we're eating for our snacks and, and talk to us about dogs and things. Yeah. I was thinking next month maybe we could talk about how Bob Hawke was a CIA asset. Um, I'm... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but I need to put that to the Discord because we, you know, we 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 ask our our five dollar and up patrons. I know it's six night six dollar ninety and up patrons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what they want to hear about. I'm gonna I'm just gonna float that idea to see if if there, there are any. I takers. love it, but I am going to yell about subterranean humanoid species and so on throughout. Just random. I'm just gonna wouldn't have, have some it other any conspiracy other conspiracy theories. I'll just pop in there. Yeah. No, it's. Okay, well, we need to talk about Neither it, really. is the moon landing, Zach. I know what you're about to say. You tinfoil hat motherfucker. Our prime minister was a CIA asset, and I got the hard proof. I just haven't read the all article yet, so I don't know it off the top CIA of my head. agent, Zach. That's what well, Australia yeah, is all about. That's true. Aside from leaving the review and signing up on Patreon, uh, if you don't or can't want to do either of those things... Follow us on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We do attempt to post, and we would love your support there. But we have rambled enough. Now it's time for a pop game. Oh, what has your dusty little boy been up to? He's been all right. Yeah, uh, not a whole lot. Um, But I actually thought this week I'd give a, a, a non-bagel pup date. Um... I did two uh, different dog training gigs this week, which is fun. It's a you know intermittent nice. uh, side side hustle. I don't have a main hustle, so all of my hustles are side hustle. Well, this one's <laughs> you know extra. This peripheral. is your main hustle right here. That's right, it is. Yeah, and it's pretty side. But um, yeah, the uh, did, yeah two different uh, dog training gigs this week, and it was really sweet. Um, they're both you know super well behaved. Not going to give out confidential. Uh, uh, client information on the air so don't worry uh guaranteed privacy noon the trainer um but yeah we'll never talk really about your shit on his platform <laughs> uh no i can't promise that i'm just not doing it tonight um but yeah no they're <laughs> just some very, yeah very sweet hands and really like lovely to work with new pet owners who want to you know um yeah. set up good relationships with their dogs and it's nice working with dogs who aren't just giant assholes like bagel i love you very much sweetie but you yeah you giant asshole um and uh yeah they're just like real sweet and chill and that is a nice vibe for dog training sometimes it's a good personality for a dog to have chill Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i i like that on a dog intermittently available yeah i I can't say that i would describe dante in that way no yeah has Um, he been chilling this week mm, well no, I mean, he's like kind of bouncing off the walls a little bit because it's been raining a lot and he mm. basically, yeah, he's just a complete coward when it comes to water and he won't step foot outside even if he's like clearly oh. bursting for a piss. Little boy. He'll like poke his nose out of the door and be like, no, nah, no, don't want, don't want, don't want a fucking bar of it. And then you take him out for a walk and he just pisses for like a straight two minutes. Um. What else has he been up to this week? I'm trying to I'm trying to think if anything uh, funny has happened. Oh, just while you're thinking, I, I should give an update about Bagel's eye from last week. He's totally fine. No issues. Um, so everyone who was concerned can rest rest easy. That's really good to hear. Yeah, I mean, both of uh, Dante's eyes are working perfectly as well. That's the end of There's the update. There's your pup date. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I guess he's just been sitting inside, not no, going on that raining, many walks. Not... Yeah, yeah, not a lot's been been happening. Yeah. Oh well, that's the show. Um, yeah, that, that that's it. Oh man, healthy brings happy heart and God joy. I feel like beauty. It really petered out towards the end there, but luckily yeah, let's just wrap this up. Roughly fifty percent of you are still listening. So if you made it this far. Congratulations on being the hardcore fan, and also sorry because it means you get the absolute worst of us as well, <laughs> and the most of us. But yeah, as Noon says, time to end the show. Keep on snacking in the free world. Crunch, crunch.